Welcome to Another World Audiobooks. This is the final episode of the final problem of the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. Folks, we've made it. This is, yeah, uh, man, such a journey. We've had four Sherlock books we've done, and I am giving those away for free to some lucky people who have uh, left reviews of the podcast. That's all you have to do is just fill out a, a, a review of the podcast right now, and uh, you will be able to enter that Sherlock giveaway competition. And it's not even really a competition at this point. <laughs> if you want to leave a review, uh, I think I'm just probably going to end up giving you the, the four free audiobooks. So all you got to do is leave a review of the podcast, people, and you get four free audiobooks. If you enjoy Sherlock Holmes, then you'll want to have all these audiobooks for yourself so that you can listen to them any time no ads no intro outro no splitting it up and and doing all these cliffhangers like some crazy podcast host does anyway thank you again to marissa ednosa and john for sponsoring this podcast and making this episode possible i couldn't do it without you if you want to become a supporter of the podcast all you got to do is go to anchor.fm slash another world audiobooks click on support this podcast and yeah you will literally be making audio magic happen so thank you so much for uh, marissa ednosa and john for making this happen and yeah, people, we're on to another a new book here right after this is done. So get in touch with me. Let me know what you want to hear next. This is your podcast. <laughs> I just do the recording. So <laughs> let me know what you want to hear next. I want to hear from you. And yeah, get in touch. Books at gmail.com. Or you can uh, hit me up on the social mediums, which are all in the show notes down below. And now, without further ado, I give you the conclusion to the final problem. It was in vain that I asked Holmes to remain for the evening. It was evident to me that he thought he might bring trouble to the roof he was under, and that that was the motive which impelled him to go. With a few hurried words as to our plans for the morrow, he rose and came out with me into the garden, clambering over the wall which leads into Mortimer Street, and immediately whistling for a hansom in which I heard him drive away. In the morning, I obeyed Holmes's injunctions to the letter— a hansom was procured with such precaution as would prevent its being one which was placed ready for us, and I drove immediately after breakfast to the Lowther Arcade, through which I hurried at the top of my speed. A broom was waiting with a very massive driver wrapped in a dark cloak, who, the instant that I had stepped in, whipped up the horse and rattled off to Victoria Station. On my alighting there, he turned the carriage and dashed away again without so much as a look in my direction. So far all had gone admirably— my luggage was waiting for me, and I had no difficulty in finding the carriage which Holmes had indicated, and less so as it was the only one in the train which was marked engaged. My only source of anxiety now was the non-appearance of Holmes. The station clock marked only seven minutes from the time which we were due to start. In vain I searched among the group of travellers and the leave-takers for the lithe figure of my friend. There was no sign of him. I spent a few minutes in assisting a venerable Italian priest, who was endeavouring to make a porter understand, in his broken English, that his luggage was to be booked through to Paris. Then, having taken another look around, I returned to my carriage, where I found that the porter, in spite of the ticket, had given me my decrepit Italian friend as a travelling companion. It was useless for me to explain to him that his presence was an intrusion, for my Italian was even more limited than his English— so I shrugged my shoulders resignedly, and continued to look out anxiously for my friend. A chill of fear had come over me, as I thought that his absence might mean that some blow had fallen during the night. Already the doors had all been shut, and the whistle blown when— "'My dear Watson,' said a voice, "'you have not even condescended to say good morning.' I turned in uncontrollable astonishment. The aged ecclesiastic had turned his face towards me, 
For an instant the wrinkles were smoothed away, the nose drew away from the chin, the lower lips ceased to protrude, and the mouth to mumble. The dull eyes regained their fire, the drooping figure expanded. The next the whole frame collapsed again, and Holmes had gone as quickly as he had come. "'Good heavens!' I cried. "'How you startled me!' "'Every precaution is still necessary,' he whispered. "'I have reason to think that they are hot upon our trail. "'Ah, there is Moriarty himself.' "'The train had already begun to move as Holmes spoke. "'Glancing back, I saw a tall man pushing his way furiously through the crowd "'and waving his hand as if he desired to have the train stopped. "'It was too late, however, for we were rapidly gathering momentum,' and an instant later had shot clear of the station. "'With all our precautions, you see that we have cut it rather fine,' said Holmes, laughing. He rose, and throwing off the black cassock and hat which had formed his disguise, he packed them away in a handbag. "'Have you seen the morning paper, Watson?' "'No.' "'You haven't seen about Baker Street, then?' "'Baker Street?' "'They set fire to our rooms last night. No great harm was done.' "'Good heavens, Holmes! This is intolerable!' "'They must have lost my track completely after their bludgeon man was arrested. Otherwise they could not have imagined that I had returned to my rooms. They have evidently taken the precaution of watching you, however, and that is what brought Moriarty to Victoria. You could not have made any slip in coming.' "'I did exactly what you advised.' "'Did you find the broom?' "'Yes, it was waiting.' "'Did you recognize the coachman?' "'No.' It was my brother, Mycroft. It is an advantage to get about in such a case without taking a mercenary into your confidence. But we must plan what we are to do about Moriarty now. As this is an express, and as the boat runs in connection with it, I should think we have shaken him off very effectively. My dear Watson, you evidently do not realize my meaning when I said that this man may be taken as being quite on the same intellectual plane as myself. You do not imagine that if I were the pursuer, I should allow myself to be baffled by so slight an obstacle. Why, then, should you think so meanly of him? What will he do? What I should do. What would you do, then? Engage a special. But it must be late. By no means. This train stops at Canterbury, and there is always at least a quarter of an hour's delay at the boat. He will catch us there. One would think that we were the criminals— let us have him arrested on his arrival. It would be to ruin the work of three months. We should get the big fish, but the smaller would dart right and left out of the net. On Monday we shall have them all. No, an arrest is inadmissible. What then? We shall get out at Canterbury. And then? Well, then we must make a cross-country journey to Newhaven, and so on to Dieppe. Moriarty will again do what I should he will get on to Paris, mark down our luggage, and wait for two days at the depot. In the meantime, we shall treat ourselves to a couple of carpet-bags, encourage the manufacturers of the countries through which we travel, and make our way at our leisure into Switzerland via Luxembourg and Basel. At Canterbury, therefore, we alighted, only to find that we should have to wait an hour before we could get a train to Newhaven— I was still looking rather ruefully after the rapidly disappearing luggage van which contained my wardrobe when Holmes pulled my sleeve and pointed up the line. "'Already, you see,' said he. Far away, from among the Kentish woods, there rose a thin spray of smoke. A minute later, a carriage and engine could be seen flying along the open curve which leads to the station. 
We had hardly time to take our place behind a pile of luggage when it passed with a rattle and a roar, beating a blast of hot air into our faces. "'There he goes,' said Holmes, as we watched the carriage swing and rock over the points. "'There are limits, you see, to our friend's intelligence. It would have been a coup de matoire had he deduced what I would deduce, and acted accordingly.' "'And what would he have done had he overtaken us?' There cannot be the least doubt that he would have made a murderous attack upon me. It is, however, a game at which two may play. The question now is whether we should take a premature lunch here, or run our chance of starving before we reach the buffet at Newhaven. We made our way to Brussels that night, and spent two days there, moving on upon the third as far as Strasbourg. On the Monday morning, Holmes had telegraphed to the London police, and in the evening we had found a reply waiting for us at our hotel. Holmes tore it open, and then, with a bitter curse, hurled it into the grate. "'I might have known it,' he groaned. "'He has escaped!' "'Moriarty!' "'They have secured the whole gang with the exception of him. He has given them the slip. Of course, when I had left the country, there was no one to cope with him. But I did think that I had put the game in their hands. I think that you had better return to England, Watson.' "'Why?' "'Because you will find me a dangerous companion now. "'This man's occupation is gone. "'He is lost if he returns to London. "'If I read his character right, "'he will devote his whole energies to revenging himself upon me. "'He said as much in our short interview, "'and I fancy that he meant it. "'I should certainly recommend you to return to your practice.' "'It was hardly an appeal to be successful "'with one who was an old campaigner as well as an old friend.' We sat in the Strasbourg salle manger arguing the question for half an hour, but the same night we had resumed our journey and were well on our way to Geneva. For a charming week we wandered up the valley of the Rhone, and then, branching off at Lourdes, we made our way over to the Gemai Pass, still deep in snow, and so by way of Interlaken to Mirgen. It was a lovely trip, the dainty green of the spring below, the virgin white of the winter above— but it was clear to me that never for one instant did Holmes forget the shadow which lay across him. In the homely alpine villages, or in the lonely mountain passes, I could tell by his quick glancing eyes, and his sharp scrutiny of every face that passed us, that he was well convinced that, walk where we would, we could not walk ourselves clear of the danger which was dogging our footsteps. Once, I remember, as we passed over the Gemai, and walked along the border of the melancholy Dobbin Sea, a large rock which had been dislodged from the ridge upon our right clattered down and roared into the lake behind us. In an instant, Holmes had raced up on to the ridge, and, standing upon a lofty pinnacle, craned his neck in every direction. It was in vain that our guide assured him that a fall of stones was a common chance in the springtime at that spot. He said nothing, but he smiled at me with the air of a man who sees the fulfilment of that which he had expected. And yet, for all his watchfulness, he was never depressed— on the contrary, I can never recollect having seen him in such exuberant spirits. Again and again he recurred to the fact that if he could be assured that society was freed from Professor Moriarty, he would cheerfully bring his own career to a conclusion. "'I think that I may go so far as to say, Watson, that I have not lived wholly in vain,' he remarked. "'If my record were closed tonight, I could still survey it with equanimity. The air of London is the sweeter for my presence.' In over a thousand cases, I am not aware that I have ever used my powers upon the wrong side. Of late, I have been tempted to look into the problems furnished by nature, rather than those more superficial ones for which our artificial state of society is responsible. 
Your memoirs will draw to an end, Watson, upon the day that I crown my career by the capture or extinction of the most dangerous and capable criminal in Europe. I shall be brief, and yet exact, in the little which remains for me to tell. It is not a subject on which I would willingly dwell, and yet I am conscious that a duty devolves upon me to omit no detail. It was on the 3rd of May that we reached the little village of Meringen, where we put up at the Englisher Hof, then kept by Peter Styler the Elder. Our landlord was an intelligent man, and spoke excellent English, having served three years as waiter at the Grosvenor Hotel in London. At his advice, on the afternoon of the 4th, we set off together with the intention of crossing the hills and spending the night at the hamlet of Rosenlau. We had strict injunctions, however, on no account to pass the falls of Reichenbach, which are about halfway up the hill without making a small detour to see them. It is indeed a fearful place. The torrent, swollen by the melting snow, plunges into a tremendous abyss, from which the spray roils up like the smoke from a burning house. The shaft into which the river hurls itself is an immense chasm, lined by glistening coal-black rock, and narrowing into a creaming, boiling pit of incalculable depth, which brims over and shoots the stream onward over its jagged lip. The long sweep of green water roaring forever down, and the thick flickering curtain of spray hissing forever upward, turn a man giddy with their constant whirl and clamour. We stood near the edge, peering down at the gleam of the breaking water far below us, against the black rocks, and listening to the half-human shout which came booming up with the spray out of the abyss. The path has been cut halfway round the fall to afford a complete view, but it ends abruptly, and the traveller has to return as he came. We had turned to do so when we saw a Swiss lad come running along it with a letter in his hand. It bore the mark of the hotel which we had just left, and was addressed to me by the landlord. It appeared that, within a very few minutes of our leaving, an English lady had arrived who was in the last stage of consumption. She had wintered at Davos Platz and was journeying now to join her friends at Lucerne when a sudden hemorrhage had overtaken her. It was thought that she could hardly live a few hours, but it would be a great consolation to her to see an English doctor, and if I would only return, etc. The good Styler assured me in a postscript that he would himself look upon my compliance as a very great favour, since the lady absolutely refused to see a Swiss physician, and he could not but feel that he was incurring a great responsibility. The appeal was one which could not be ignored. It was impossible to refuse the request of a fellow countrywoman dying in a strange land, Yet I had my scruples about leaving Holmes. It was finally agreed, however, that he would retain the young Swiss messenger with him as a guide and companion, while I returned to Meringen. My friend would stay some little time at the fall, he said, and then walk slowly over the hill to Rosenlau, where I was to rejoin him in the evening. As I turned away, I saw Holmes, with his back against a rock and his arms folded, gazing down at the rush of the waters. It was the last that I was ever destined to see of him in this world. When I was near the bottom of the descent, I looked back. It was impossible, from that position, to see the fall, but I could see the curving path which winds over the shoulder of the hill and leads to it. Along this, a man was, I remember, walking very rapidly. I could see his black figure clearly outlined against the green behind him, I noted him and the energy with which he walked, but he passed from my mind again as I hurried on upon my errand. It may have been a little over an hour before I reached Meringen. Old Styler was standing at the porch of his hotel. "'Well,' said I, as I came hurrying up, "'I trust that she is no worse.' 
A look of surprise passed over his face, and at the first quiver of his eyebrows my heart turned to lead in my breast. "'You did not write this,' I said, pulling the letter from my pocket. "'There is no sick Englishwoman in the hotel.' "'Certainly not,' he cried. "'But it has the hotel mark upon it. Ha! It must have been written by that tall Englishman who came in after you had gone. He said—' But I waited for none of the landlord's explanations— in a tingle of fear, I was already running down the village street, and making for the path which I had so lately descended. It had taken me an hour to come down. For all my efforts, two more had passed before I found myself at the fall of Reichenbach once more. There was Holmes's alpine stock still leaning against the rock by which I had left him. But there was no sign of him, and it was in vain that I shouted. My only answer was my own voice, reverberating in a rolling echo from the cliffs around me. It was the sight of that alpine stock which turned me cold and sick. He had not gone to Rosenlau then. He had remained on that three-foot path, with sheer wall on one side and sheer drop on the other, until his enemy had overtaken him. The young Swiss had gone too. He had probably been in the pay of Moriarty, and had left the two men together. And then, what had happened? Who was to tell us what had happened then? I stood for a minute or two to collect myself— for I was dazed with the horror of the thing. Then I began to think of Holmes's own method, and to try to practice them in reading this tragedy. It was, alas, only too easy to do. During our conversation we had not gone to the end of the path, and the alpine stock marked the place where we had stood. The blackish soil is kept forever soft by the incessant drift of spray, and a bird would have left its own tread upon it. Two lines of footmarks were clearly marked along the farther end of the path, both leading away from me. There were none returning. A few yards from the end, the soil was all ploughed up into a patch of mud, and the branches and ferns which fringed the chasm were torn and bedraggled. I lay upon my face and peered over with the spray spouting up all round me. It had darkened since I left, and now I could only see here and there the glistening of moisture upon the black walls, and far away down, at the end of the shaft, the gleam of the broken water. I shouted, but only the same half-human cry of the fall was borne back to my ears. But it was destined that I should, after all, have a last word of greeting from my friend and comrade. I have said that his alpine stock had been left leaning against a rock which jutted on the path. From the top of this boulder the gleam of something bright caught my eye, and raising my hand I found that it came from the silver cigarette case which he used to carry. As I took it up, a small square of paper upon which it had lain fluttered down onto the ground. Unfolding it, I found that it consisted of three pages torn from his notebook and addressed to me. It was characteristic of the man that the direction was a precise, and the writing as firm and clear as though it had been written in his study. "'My dear Watson,' he said, "'I write these few lines through the courtesy of Mr. Moriarty.' who awaits my convenience for the final discussion of those questions which lie between us. He has been giving me a sketch of the methods by which he avoided the English police and kept himself informed of our movements. They certainly confirmed the very high opinion which I had formed of his abilities. I am pleased to think that I shall be able to free society from any further effects of his presence, though I fear that it is at a cost which will give pain to my friends, and especially, my dear Watson, to you. I have already explained to you, however, that my career had in any case reached its crisis, and that no possible conclusion to it could be more congenial to me than this. Indeed, 
if I may make a full confession to you, I was quite convinced that the letter from Merigen was a hoax, and I allowed you to depart on that errand under the persuasion that some development of this sort would follow. Tell Inspector Patterson that the papers which he needs to convict the gang are in pigeonhole M, done up in a blue envelope, and inscribed Moriarty. I made every disposition of my property before leaving England, and handed it to my brother Mycroft. Pray give my greetings to Mrs. Watson, and believe me to be, my dear fellow, very sincerely yours, Sherlock Holmes. A few words may suffice to tell the little that remains. An examination by experts leaves little doubt that a personal contest between the two men ended, as it could hardly fail to end in such a situation, in their reeling over, locked in each other's arms. Any attempt at recovering the bodies was absolutely hopeless, and there, deep down in that dreadful cauldron of swirling water and seething foam, will lie for all time the most dangerous criminal and the foremost champion of the law of their generation. The Swiss youth was never found again, and there can be no doubt that he was one of the numerous agents whom Moriarty kept in his employ. As to the gang, it will be within the memory of the public how completely the evidence which Holmes had accumulated exposed their organization, and how heavily the hand of the dead man weighed upon them. Of their terrible chief, few details came out during the proceedings, and if I have now been compelled to make a clear statement of his career, it is due to those injudicious champions who have endeavoured to clear his memory by attacks upon him whom I shall ever regard as the best and the wisest man whom I have ever known. The End So I do just have to mention, this was such an interesting story because I got to the end and as I was reading through it, I realised if... If I don't break one of my rules, then we're not going to actually hear Moriarty because Sherlock, the only dialogue that Moriarty has is when Sherlock is is telling about what Moriarty said. And throughout the entire books, I don't know if you guys noted this, but um, I have I kind of made it a rule. It's like okay, if somebody's talking, then I'm not going to do a voice of somebody that they're quoting because it's not the person that they're quoting that's talking; it's the person that's talking that's talking. So I got to that point and I was just like. Ah, I can't do this. We have to hear Moriarty. So I had a ton of fun doing that voice. If you guys liked it, I'd love to hear uh, your opinion on my Mori- my take on Moriarty. Very fun character to do, and I wish he had more dialogue. Such a bummer that Sherlock threw him off a waterfall. Anyway, <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed this uh, final episode of the Memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. What a journey. Uh, like I said, four audiobooks of Sherlock Holmes. That's, that's something else. Uh, it was so much fun to do. I really love doing these characters and these stories and stuff. But it's on to something newer, something better. Well, maybe not better, but hopefully better. I don't know. <laughs> well, you'll have to be the judge of that. But uh, let me know. What audiobook do you want to hear next? We're going to be coming at you with a brand new audiobook next week based on your feedback and what book you want to hear next so get in touch with me anotherworldaudiobooks at gmail.com or all the social media and remember uh, if you want to support the podcast like Marissa at Nosa and John which uh, to whom I am uh, eternally grateful for their support of the podcast you can just go to anchor.fm slash anotherworldaudiobooks and click on support this podcast it's that simple so now uh, yeah we're I'll be giving away those uh, those four free audiobooks to whoever left a review of the podcast uh, like I said it was pretty uh, all, all you got to do at this point is just leave a review and you will get those four free audiobooks 
got to make sure to share that review on social media though so I see it and so that uh, I, I know that you actually did it. Otherwise, I won't know. So get in touch with me that way. Let me know if you left a review and I will send you those four free audiobooks. Thank you again, guys, so much for listening. I, I just love this podcast. I've, I've almost like not continue doing it several times it's just like ah oh, is anybody actually listening but then i look and you guys are listening you are enjoying it and i just i, I can't let you down i got to bring you another audiobook so stay tuned for that coming at you next week thanks again and remember to share the podcast with somebody that you know who might enjoy a free audiobook when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply When I was in school, I absolutely hated writing. It wasn't until I was a bit older that I came to understand the power of words. If you're a business owner, you understand that power too. A business blog, when done right, can drive sales, increase revenue, and get you more customers. But as a business owner, you probably don't have the time to do all that writing. Plus, if you're not a copywriter by trade, you might feel like you're just kind of throwing words out there and they're not actually accomplishing anything. The good news is, there's a simple solution. Check it out. I call it the ultimate blog post checklist for businesses with online stores. This checklist will allow you to write better, more effective articles that convert readers into buyers. It's full of easy-to-follow examples to get your creativity flowing based on experience of nearly a million words written. And best of all, it's effective on any type of article in any industry or niche. I've successfully used this exact checklist on topics from pool table reviews to investment advice. Tired of spending tons of time writing stuff that doesn't convert? This checklist will change that by giving you highly effective blog posts and articles that transform readers into paying customers. Go to Invicta.Enterprises slash free checklist and start saving time and transforming your writing now. That's Invicta.Enterprises slash free checklist.